Welcome to the Hong Kong Heartbeat by Asia Society Hong Kong. This is the podcast that showcases the people, stories, and voices that make Hong Kong a uniquely dynamic and world-class city. Today's guests are entrepreneurs in the hyper-competitive F&B industry in Hong Kong. Stephanie Kudos and Luke Yardley give their unique stories on what it took to become successful and why they think Hong Kong is probably the best city in the world to do what they do. Hong Kong is known as Asia's world city. It's vibrant energy, advanced infrastructure, and rule of law make it an entrepreneur's paradise. And many of our guests have owed their success and good fortune to this unique place that they call home. Today's guests are Stephanie Kudus Poloi. Yes. <laughs> and Luke Yardley of Yardley Brothers Beer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, before we get started, let's uh, just go around the table. We'll introduce ourselves. Say your name, what's your brand, and what you do. Okay. Luke? All right. Uh, my name is Luke Yardley. Uh, I'm the founder and head brewer of Yardley Brothers Brewing, uh, which is a specialist craft brewery based in Hong Kong. Um, my name is Steph, and I own Pololi, which is Hong Kong's first Hawaiian poke shop. We started out in 2015, and so far we have five different locations that send food all over the island. And from just making poke bowls, we've moved into a bunch of different brands. Um, and so right now we've got five brands under our parent brand, all serving Hong Kong. That's great. Everyone loves a good Genesis story. You both are not from Hong Kong originally. Um, so let's start with that. What brought you to Hong Kong? Okay, uh, what brought me to Hong Kong? Well, I, I, uh, I graduated from Mandarin University and I studied philosophy. Um, turns out it's not particularly good at getting you a job when you do, do a master's in philosophy. Um, so I, I got offered a job by um, my, uh, my godfather, uh, basically. He has an office in Hong Kong. So I, I came over to Hong Kong to learn his business, uh, which was buying, um, purchasing from factories in China. Um, so I came over to do that, and I fell in love with the city in about six months. And I was meant to go back to Paris, but I basically just didn't take my flight back, and I, I stayed in Hong Kong. I, actually, if we could just stick on that path. I read somewhere you, you were buying toilet seats. That's right. I was, yeah, he's a, I was buying all sorts of things. Uh, yeah. um, so basically household goods, anything and everything you can imagine, but not food or electrical items. Um, so he, uh, they have a, a chain of shops in Europe uh, and a wholesale business as well. Interesting. When was that? When, like... Oh, uh, when I, it was 2010. Okay. When I came in. Very cool. <laughs> um, so I graduated from UCLA. Um, I graduated really early, so I was 20 years old. And I got hired by, um, actually, an investment bank. And I started working there in Singapore. And my boss actually agreed to move me up to Hong Kong because I'm originally from Singapore mm. and I just wanted something new. So I moved out here before my 21st birthday and I was in investment banking for a pretty long time. So half a decade in, I was 25 and I was looking for a birthday present to myself. Huh. And, uh, <laughs> I bit off a little bit more than I could chew, but <laughs> I started Pololi, and that was when I was still juggling my full-time job, and I thought this would be so much fun. And so I was working full-time in investment banking and running between my office and my shop like two to three times a day. And after nine months, I was like, okay, you know, this is a lot to do, and you know, I could only do so much. And I think at that point, 
I had to choose whether or not I wanted to continue with investment banking and you know grow that way and probably move cities or grow Paloli and see what it could do. So I think at 26 years old, I was like, hey, you know, I've got nothing to lose, so why not do Paloli? So ever since then, I haven't looked back. Um, I rarely wear pants out of the house these days, so it's, uh, it's, it's, a, good, it's a good spot to be. <laughs> That's interesting. Now, that, that must have been a really hard decision. Was Paloli profitable at the time you made this decision? So nine months in, it started to really pick up. I mean, we were one of the first shops on Graham Street that was, you know, offering a lunch option, right? I mean, we were neighbors with the wet market next to us as a vegetable lady. Like, there really wasn't anything there at that point. Like, NOC came in later. You know, we now have a few other places around there. Um, But I would say for a brand new store, given all the horror stories that you listen about, you know, F&B, like... No one ever does make it past a year or anything like that. I think at nine months, we're in like a really good spot. And it started to look really promising. Like we were the first guys to sell poke and people weren't coming in going like, oh, are these tomatoes? Is it watermelon? Like, what are you guys selling? You know, people were coming in going like, hey, you know, I'm here for a poke bowl. My friend told me about it. Okay, this is really good. You know, we're getting like quite encouraging you know feedback from customers and i was like all right you know like this could actually be something right so like what started out as like more of like a hobby like my colleagues were asking me what my lunch was they were trying my lunch and i was like okay i'm singaporean you know like we're here to share everything you know and they were trying it and i was like okay if i can sell it to my cus- my colleagues i can sell it to anyone you know and so that's kind of how it began like i was ordering so much takeout to my office like every single day like i was getting sick of eating sushi i was sick of eating burgers like you know i was sick of calling people on the phone to like place my order because that was when there was like cuisine career you know and all these companies so yeah, it's been it's been fun. That's great. So you filled your own sort of need, Luke. Uh, yes, oh, sorry, I'm sorry. When did you uh, decide to make that transition? Oh, uh, well, I it wasn't really planned. It, it sort of uh, I I started uh, brewing in Hong Kong because my my brother came to visit me, mm-hmm. and I I learned to brew. Well, me and my brother used to make cider. My uncle was a brewer, and he, he sort of got us into a bit of brewing in the UK and um, didn't really think anything of it. And then my brother came to visit me in Hong Kong, and, and then we started making a bit of beer. Um, and at the time, there was pretty much no good craft beer in Hong Kong at all. And some of my friends tried my sort of simple, very DIY homebrew stuff. Um, literally, my brother bought the ingredients from the UK. Wow. You couldn't get ingredients here. Um, and so yeah, we started, my friends enjoyed it, and a friend of mine had a shop and said, hey, would you, would you make some for me? Uh, and I, I just made a couple of bottles. But then it sort of, from that, it sort of snowballed a little bit into basically being for, forced to start a brewery, because you, know, you need to have licenses, you need to have all these sort of things. I wanted to do it. I also wanted to do it better, at a bigger scale, and uh, at a, um, a better quality. Um, so yeah, that was it. Kind of forced me to do it. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. I never sort of started off with a plan of let's build a big brewery and you know do that. It's yeah. It, it, I guess that's how it started. Interesting. So you both have kind of similar stories there, where it's sort of an accidental demand for a good quality product um, yeah. that yeah. you had. Um, now you sounded like 
in Hong Kong, you guys were sort of first to market with this high quality product uh, from both um, brands, but you guys have competition now. What differentiates uh, you, your brand from the competition? How do you stay better than them? Okay. I think I think there's actually a wonderful thing about competition in, in, in my industry in Hong Kong. We have a, a really vibrant uh, industry that's grown in the last eight years, right. basically. Uh, there's a, a lot of sort of healthy respect that we have for now the brewers, we're basically all friends, we all get on, but at the same time, we, there's a bit of competition there, who's going to make the newest, best thing, right. um, and I think that drives our whole industry to be better, which is, is a good thing, um, and so as far as, for us, I think we are uh, known in Hong Kong as being sort of uh, niche, we're not a, we're not a giant company, uh, it allows us to move very quickly, we re- we're releasing about two new products every month uh, into the market, um, and I guess fun and creativity. We don't take ourselves very seriously. We're not sort of a, a big corporate company that decides what we have to make because it's you know for the market. We, we, we'll come up with a wacky and weird fun idea and you know a couple of days later we're ready to go and we start, um, start developing it. Um, so yeah, creativity and having a bit of fun and keep, keep releasing new and exciting things. That's great, so you move fast and you break things. Yep. <laughs> and then you piece it back together later on. <laughs> I think for us, it's kind of similar. It's a adaptability, right? I mean, the thing that we do at Pululi is we have a really small team. I like to think that I run a tight ship. Um, but, you know, we can do something from conceptualizing an idea to launching it within three to four days, mm-hmm. right? So we move fast. We work really well together. And we're just efficient. Like by not having many, many different people that are involved in the decision-making process, like, we can move faster than, more than anyone else. Like, I don't need to spend time thinking about agreeing on the color of blue walls on my, you know, in the shop when I'm just like, okay, this blue's fine, let's just go with it. So I think efficiency is also key, given everything in Hong Kong really moves really fast, and everything is always changing. Like, we started out with competitors um, and you know fast forward like it's only been four five years since we started and you've got two to three brands that no longer exist in Hong Kong right and some of them have grown very fast and I think that could be a factor of it but we've grown quite sustainably in the past few years which is kind of you know the way where I wanted to grow just because you like there's no point in coming back to fix the pieces if it's already broken so we're just kind of just going with the flow and doing what we do and launching new brands and that's been really exciting for me and my team so competition's great because we get to see what other people are doing we get to learn from it Mm. um but i think so far like we're the only ones that serve traditional hawaiian poke bowls where you know it's not completely new very fancy like I spent my summers in Hawaii I went at UH Manoa actually um, and so all I did was eat poke and surf every single day for all of the summer months which was fantastic nice. yeah and so it's <laughs> like you know I can be working in a bank and still having my poke bowl and still feeling like I want to be on the beach you know and so I think that's kind of where we're coming from like we're not trying to be anything that we're not mm. um, and I think that has helped us with our brand authenticity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
failure. Uh, what is a past failure that you've learned sort of in your, uh, in your journey that you've turned into a success? Okay. Um, failing, for me, I've tried many, many things as far as, when I was young, I was quite entrepreneurial. So I tried, I had my first little business, I guess, when I was like 12 or 13. I used to have some guys helping me to do gardens. And, uh, I, I screwed that up. Um, <laughs> I then I tried you know, lots of small little businesses, but then when I came to Hong Kong, after I finished working for, uh, for my godfather, I tried to start a company in Hong Kong. And uh, it was an educational company. It was basically providing syllabuses to schools and uh, teachers to schools. And it was a good concept. We had a, a good product, but I didn't get out of bed every day with a massive motivating drive because I didn't, I wasn't fundamentally passionate about what I was selling. Um, but with beer, I am. I'm, I'm really, really passionate about it. Taste, flavor, I absolutely love it. Um, and as a result, it's not a job for me. I, I, um, I just want to work, do it every day, basically. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that understanding yourself and really understanding what motivates you is sort of something you can learn from from your previous failures. Failures? Gosh, that's so like dramatic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess when we started, um, I guess a few years after we started Bololi, we actually opened up uh, and did this, um, two more shops, mm -hmm. um, one in Shangwan and one in Wan Chai. And because we signed the leases at the same time, after two years, they were both up for renegotiation. And um, both my landlords were like, hey, you know, you guys have a really small shop, which is exactly what we wanted. And they wanted to jack up our rents, right? And I think this is a story that keeps on coming back and back again. I mean, landlords are brutal in Hong Kong. Like they just, they know that they can take, right? And, you know, credit to them. I mean, they own the land, so they can do whatever they want to it. With it, what if, yeah. But, um, I guess at that point, I realized that even though, the, even though the shop was really new, just because even if we shut it down, it doesn't mean that we're actually failing. I think it makes you look at other avenues of how you define success, right? So for us, I mean, I was, I went in there with a the sledgehammer, I like wrecked the place, we closed it down and I was like, you know what? Like, we don't need you guys. Like, we don't need to have a shop in order to be successful. So, you know, we learned from that and um, sure, we, you know, we spent money on construction, but we were there already for two years. And I think, you know, compared to the U.S., two years in a lease is a very short amount of time. And we were, you know, we knew that that could be a possibility after two years. So, you know, we learned from that. And now we've got five different kitchens. Um, we've got two shops and, you know, we are in partnership with Deliveroo, which have these additions kitchens. And so now we operate out of all three of them um, in Sang Pun, Wan Chai, as well as Quarry Bay. And that's been a really exciting part of our journey. Like we are able to create new brands, sell them and market to customers in a different way compared to having a brick and mortar store. And I think, you know, back then, like we were, we started doing this out of curiosity right we were like hey you know let's try this it sounds totally crazy and no one would actually take us seriously they were like you're gonna start a brand without having a brick and mortar how are you guys gonna do that like how are people gonna even try your food 
right? But I think it's having that leap of faith. I think it's taking it and, hey, you know, like after all these years, like some of our virtual brands are doing better than Paloli in some of the sites, right? And so, you know, you just never really know. And so I think it's been really fun to see. But uh, yeah, I think break, when you can break something down, like, to its bare bones, I think it really like hits a nerve and you're just like, okay, I'm never going to spend money on that ever again. And so <laughs> you learn from that. Those are good lessons. Um, in terms of uh, building something, um, a lot of entrepreneurs know that they can't build it alone. It, uh, a lot of success comes from the team you sort of uh, build around you. Uh, what do you guys look for in terms of talent? How do you screen and know somebody is, good, is a good fit for what you guys are doing? Uh, for me, I don't like to have colleagues as mm. far as just people I work with. Uh, pretty much, we are a group of friends. We all hang out, and you've got to. I mean, people I get on with tend to love food and taste, so I like to eat with you and uh, get to know you through sitting down and eating and uh, having a good time in that way. Um, yeah, I don't want to work in the, in a work environment. I want to. My life is is the people that I work with because that's what I do all the time. So so I want uh, them to be people I can have a good laugh with, have the same passion and drive that I have. Um, but also, I don't want them everyone to be the same as me either. Like uh, we've got definitely different strengths in our in our uh, company. Um, and then another side of it is, I suppose, who do I work with? I work with my wife. We're a family business. Um, <laughs> Me and my brother started it. My dad is on the board of directors. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I guess I surround, I choose the people I want to work with, also the people I want to share my life with. Do you guys ever get into arguments? Like, how do you solve that? Like, over oh, a beer? Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> absolutely all the time. I mean, yes, definitely <laughs> it happens. But I think that, uh, as you say, having a good beer and a chat and also being able to, like, not take anything too personally. It's, right. it's, it's business and then also making sure everyone has their own area which they get to decide on right. I don't manage as far as I'm not sort of a, the, the you know, dictator who tells everyone what to do everyone has their own area and they manage and, and work uh, in their own way I think that's a better way because uh, then you don't have to spend all your time telling people off or whatever um. yeah that's good I think for me it's working with people that would do what they say they're going to do. Um, I think accountability is really important. Um, I mean, I aim high, and so my expectations are pretty high for the people that I work with. Um, And I think that is very clear after you first meet with me for the first hour. Um, So we are an F&B, we do sell Pokeballs, but there is a certain, I guess, level of just work attitude and ethic that I hold my staff to even if you're working in my kitchen my shop or you know running my operations right so I think it kind of all trickles down like I would be there to scrub the floors with you Mm. you know and I expect everyone to do that Um, and so I guess leading by example is quite important I mean I think I've made some bad calls as well previously on people that I've worked with you know but I think that was all part of the learning process and you start being able to look out for certain things that would bring, you know, like a, a red flag or even an amber flag. And you know never to do that again because you're going to get burned again. So, you know, in a way, I think in the beginning, there was a lot of things that, you know, I kind of had to learn fast. But at the same time, like I grew fast, right? So 
I'm glad that all that's, you know, hopefully behind, but um, we move on. Something we'd like to ask uh, all our entrepreneurs, um, there's your success. Um, how much of it do you attribute to luck versus skill? Ooh, good one. <laughs> yeah, okay. I think there's a very important that there's um, skill is an interesting word. I think you can be skillful, but you have to just put in the work. Okay. I think that there's a lot of like just absolutely never giving up and keeping going and pushing yeah. and pushing. Um, luck, have I been lucky? I have been incredibly lucky. I started my brewery, uh, I got my first my brew house um, uh, given to me uh, by a guy I met in a bar. Oh, what? <laughs> Seriously, this is how I how I actually went from being a sort of a part-time brewer to uh, starting my brewery. So the first ever brewery in Hong Kong uh, was started by a really, really nice guy called Pierre Cadere. And, and he um, was very passionate about, about brewing, but he's also a pilot for Cathay Pacific. And so he started it as a side project. Right. But he closed it down and he basically packed everything up into containers. I just won an award for the best beer in Hong Kong uh, with my Hong Kong Bastard IPA. Um, and that night, he, a friend of mine who runs a, a very good bar called The Globe, uh, Toby, he introduced me to Pierre. I said, Pierre, I would like to meet you. He really enjoys your beer. And I just got chatting to him. And he said, look, I have this uh, brewery. I thought he wanted to sell it to me. Uh, right. And I said, oh, great. You know, I'm, it's what I really want to do. I'm very excited. You know, give me a bit of time. I mean, I have to raise some money and some investors and see how we can start this and he said no no I, I'll give you the keys uh, go into this go to these containers and inside you'll find not an entire brewery but uh, a brew house which right. is basically where you the start of the production right. still worth quite a lot, lot of yeah. money and he very kindly gave me the keys and I didn't believe it but I opened the container and, and I was like stuff in there. and there was a brewery inside it was quite amazing <laughs> wow. so I, I was absolutely very lucky in that way uh, and I I, you know, I didn't take on big investors when I started the, mm -hmm. started the company. I started basically with my own savings. Me and my wife were saving to buy a flat. Mm -hmm. We just got married and she decided to let me buy a brewery or build a brewery oh. instead uh, of buying a flat. So I guess I'm lucky to have a lovely understanding wife too. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, definitely lucky in that ways. Uh, and then a lot of hard work on top. Uh, yeah, that's how we got it. Basically won the lottery. I mean, yeah. it's like... <laughs> yeah, no, it was... Uh, um, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> sort of the house that Hops built. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, it was more... I think hard work, like you said, is really important. It's about waking up every morning and just being there. And like I said earlier, like scrubbing the floors if you need to, right? Um, like there's pretty much nothing that I think me and my close team would do for Paloli at this point. But... I think I've been really lucky in terms of timing, right? right. I, I think opportunities have presented themselves at a time where I was kind of looking for it, you know, and then things kind of move really fast in Hong Kong, which is fantastic. And just being there to like be open to it, to open and see that the opportunity is there and taking it and taking ownership of it. I think that has been a lot to do with luck. Um, but I think without working hard or putting the hours in and just understanding the product that I sell, that would have been really difficult for you to see, you know, a different perspective, even if the opportunity is right there in front of you. Yeah. That's great. 
sounds like you guys had sort of the opportunity, but the, the ability to act upon that opportunity was really important as well because yeah. it takes some bravery. I mean, I still believe in feng shui, right? So it's like, you know, yeah. I mean, before we open a shop, I do get a feng shui master to come and like look at, look at the shop and make sure that the money's in the right place because, hey, you know, if it works, it works. <laughs> like who's, you can't say it doesn't work, you know, later on and be like, oh, I should have moved the POS into that corner or something. So... I think, you know, having my own business now has made me a little bit more superstitious, but hey, I say it doesn't hurt. <laughs> Wishing the best of luck there. But Luke, that's really interesting. Uh, Pierre, is he still around? Yeah, yes, Pierre is. I think Pierre is still with Cathay, uh, and, but I think he's, I haven't seen him for quite a while. Uh-huh. I, I used to bump into him ever so often. I find him in a bar, you know, and ever so often we'd have a beer together and uh, catch up with him. But I think that he is now... I think he might be in the UK a bit mm. more than he is in Hong Kong, um, but uh, but yeah, I definitely owe him quite a few beers. It's yeah, an amazing story. <laughs> now, and, uh, just a final question here. Um, in terms of uh, it's Asia Society's thirtieth anniversary in twenty twenty, and uh, part of the series we uh, like to highlight sort of the, the beauty that is Hong Kong. So this is kind of just a casual sort of rapid fire uh, question uh, in terms of. What do you think about Hong Kong? So uh, the first question here is, uh, what is your favorite hidden gem of Hong Kong? Uh, my favorite hidden gem of Hong Kong is yeah, Lama Island. I am I am incredibly biased. I, I love Lama. It's also where I started. Uh, I live there, and uh, but it's a lovely little small community. It's sort of full of the creative uh, artists, musicians, mm. really interesting people who live there. Um, and as a place too, it's wonderful to go for hiking. There's no roads or cars there, so you can uh, go for a lovely day out. Um, there's our beer shack, which is a little bar and restaurant that we, we have on Lama Island. Um, so you can come out and beer with me if you want to come there. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely love Lama Island, and I wouldn't still be in Hong Kong if I hadn't discovered that little gem of a place. It's such a, like a antidote to the the hustle and bustle and craziness of, of the center of the city. There's so many, I feel. Um, I live in Happy Valley, and mm. I really like a bakery called Proof, um, which is kind of a little bit up the hill close to where the gas station is. But they've got really good croissants, and they're not afraid to run out. And mm. if you go too late, they're just like, all right, too bad come back another day and you're like okay cool you know like people around there are really nice and awesome I think I've never seven years ago I mean no eight years ago when I moved to Hong Kong first I would never have thought that someone in Hong Kong would actually give me their taxi even though they've been waiting a while for it but I find that in Happy Valley and I'm just can't believe it sometimes I like have to pinch myself and like wait people here are really that nice um but yeah like you know people there are really lovely and we've got too many supermarkets for the area that we are um but just being there it's so chill you know compared to central or Causeway Bay um where it's always like run 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 hustle 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 um I think just taking a step back is kind of nice and Repulse Bay is great um, I go out to Dylan Wan to go paddle boarding, and that is always awesome in the summer. Um, I think just being able to hike as well in Hong Kong is just special. You know, like in Singapore, it's just flat area and land everywhere. 
Um, but over here, you can hike to the beach and have a beer. So, you know, I think that is the way to go. That's great. Thanks. Uh, now, in terms of uh, both your brands, is there anything uh, new and exciting that's coming up that our listeners should uh, look forward to in the new year? Uh, yeah, definitely. As for new, exciting, well, we have new products coming out every month. Uh, so new and exciting uh, products. Um, my latest beer that I've just done, uh, we did it in collaboration with another brewery. Um, so it's called uh, Quick Draw. It's a sour beer using uh, Norwegian uh, farmhouse yeast uh, and hops. It's quite quite unusual. Um, I've got a new barrel aging project on the way. So we have um, a whole lot of barrels coming over from France, from French wine producers. And we're going to be ramping up our production to on a lot bigger scale as far as barrel aging. So yeah, you'll see a lot more barrel aged wine wine influenced beers coming from, from us. Oh, we did try that the last time. It was really good, I think. You, oh, had, did, a, did you had a small batch, I think. It might have been like maybe like a Chardonnay, Chardonnay sour. Could it be or something like that? Not sure. It came in a really beautiful bottle, and I was like, okay, <laughs> like this is delicious. <laughs> I know you mentioned barrel aged, and I was like, okay. yeah, it was like handwritten, and I was like, it was really good. Uh, we had it with sate, but oh yeah, yes. <laughs> but there's there's something quite romantic about barrel aging beers, yeah. and uh, they also age and time and the complexity of the wine makes something very beautiful. Um, from our side, we have recently launched a brand called Shaka Rolls, and this would be available to almost all of Hong Kong um, by the end of this month, actually. So right now, it's available in Causeway Bay, Quarry Bay, Saing Pun, um, and hopefully in the next two to three weeks, um, we'll be launching it you know, into our Wan Chai as well as Central Kitchen. So um, when I was in California, like all of the Japanese restaurants used to have these massive rolls cut into eight and one roll would basically fill you up for dinner. Mm. Um, and in the last eight years that I've been in Hong Kong, like nothing even comes close to that. So it's like, you know, even if you go to, you know, most of the Japanese restaurants, like they, it comes with like four pieces and I'm like, okay, I need like three orders of that. Um, and so now we started Chaka Rolls and receptions wise, it's been fantastic. Like it's been really, really popular. Um, and you can get like a dragon bomb roll, you know, a caterpillar roll, you know, all of these rolls and eight pieces and it fills you right up, you know, and you don't ever have to worry about ordering seconds or two rolls per person because it would be too much. Uh, but it's fun to just like share things, you know, and so you can get a whole platter, you can get some smaller rolls to share. Um, and so that's called shaka. Um, and shaka in Hawaiian means hang loose. So, it, I, you know, it's kind of in line with what we do. Um, but you know, it's not, it's not anything too serious. It's just fun American size sushi rolls, um, and so yeah, do give that a shot. Excellent. Well, uh, we don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, but in terms of uh, any last words you want to give to other budding entrepreneurs who uh, hope to follow your path out of uh, sort of the misery of whatever job they're in to being a free entrepreneur. <laughs> Well, I have a beer called Quit Your Job, um, <laughs> and uh, I, I recommend that. that feels, that's a really good feeling. Um, so give that a shot. Uh, don't be scared to fail, and uh, definitely find what you love before starting a business, um, because you, it's going to be your life. So, right. I think for me, um, passion doesn't really all the time generate success. 
right? So I think even if you're super passionate about something, I think some people can be really lucky and also be successful by fulfilling their passion and you know following that. But um, I would say test it with a small group of friends and mm. then to a wider group before you take that leap because sometimes it can get terrifying. And you know, in the last year, I've seen a lot of businesses fail, mm-hmm. right? And you know, like credit to the owners, like they're super passionate and good. You know, like you can't fight that. Like they're mm-hmm. probably the most passionate people I've ever met. Um, but the society that we live in will still throw many punches at you, you know, that would really be discouraging sometimes. So, you know, I would say, hang in there but if you can kind of test it with a smaller group and go from there the problem with beer is everyone everyone likes beer so when i tell my friends do you want to try my beer they all say oh yeah sure sure (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i can't trust my friends with the beer yeah (laughs) but that's why your friends would be supporting you you know what i mean but i guess it's kind of different everyone loves beer in hong kong you know and so it's it's great but the craft beer scene here has grown exponentially in the last yeah. eight years i would say yeah I mean, there's so many now i it's not it's like i went to see the guaylo um, brewery and yeah. i was like this is insane like it's huge and it's beautiful but it's insane like you can't believe that it's in hong kong mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's i think a lot of the breweries have uh, i mean you don't get big breweries in hong kong island yeah the, the center of everything we've all moved out further out yeah um but uh, yeah, you've got to sell a lot of beer to even yeah. further out to pay pay those rents. So. Yeah. Well, Luke, Steph, thank you so much. Thanks for having